listening to a message from Park Springs Bible Church, located in Arlington, Texas, where we discover life in the power of God's grace and share His life-changing grace with others. Join us as we hear from the Word. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. If you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open it to the book of Romans, chapter 7. As we've already heard from this morning, we will be spending a considerable amount of time going through those 25 verses together. Um, As a point of learning for all of us this morning, there is going to be a a bit of participation as we go through this sermon that is going to involve a lot of hand-raising, and that is for a purpose. Uh, Because one of the things that I find most overwhelming as I read through Romans chapter 7, is a commonality in the struggles that I have faced in my personal life. And so we are going to be um, assenting to that this morning. So I'm going to ask some questions at different times, and you can respond by raising your hand if it applies to you. And so let me begin. How many people, how many of us in this room, at some point in their spiritual journey, have asked themselves the question, If Jesus has saved me, why do I keep sinning? Okay, we are in good company all together this morning. And because I believe there is some weight to that, and um, although I know me and uh, Charlie both project a level of confidence and bravado, um, sometimes you don't always feel up to the task when the task is extolling the most important book of all of human history that comes from the divine God of the universe. So if you would, would you pray with me this morning? Father in heaven, I know I just need to confess my inadequacy when it comes to talking about you. God, so I just ask that you would fill in my weakness with your spirit, that we would hear from you through your word. God, I thank you for it. God, I pray that we would collectively hold your word in high regard. That where it contradicts my own notions, that I would submit to it. Speak to us, Lord. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we're going to try to tackle this entire chapter, and so we are going to break it up into some chunks, and we're just in this continuation of this letter Paul has written to the church in Rome that uh, we've been talking about week in, week out, and I know has been uh, so enriching in my own spiritual life, and I pray that it has been a blessing for you. So let's continue on with what Paul is teaching and instructing this church, and I I think it is important for us because it kind of begins in in an interesting way. Uh, If you look at there in verse 1, it says, or do you not know brothers? So just as a reminder, I'm going to begin in chapter, the last verse of chapter 6, and then we're going to look through those first six verses of chapter 7 and, and discuss it. So this is what it says beginning in chapter 23 of, uh, verse 23 of chapter 6. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. 
Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And so Paul is continuing his expounding on this gospel message. And since we've already heard this chapter, I'm going to allude to a couple of things that over the course of chapter seven, Paul is discussing this interesting dynamic at work in our lives on how the law, the written rules of God, the good moral statutes and precepts that he's given his people have this interaction with our desire to sin, that there is this interplay between those two aspects of living for Jesus. And so he's beginning with this idea of how the law interacts in our life. And so Paul, you might have picked up on this. He does a lot of um, metaphor and analogy comparing these aspects of our lives to a type of relationship and how there needs to be a fundamental change in our understanding. And he, and he illustrates that by talking about this change in relationship. So we've, we've talked about that the past couple of chapters, and we know that we begin a relationship with God. So we talked about it in regards to sin, how there needs to be a fundamental change in that relationship, that it has um, a relationship of dominion over us. And so uh, what he talks about is like we are enslaved to sin, like it is a master and we are a slave and we need to change how we view that, that it's like a relationship has shifted and we become freed from that to belong to Christ. And so he's continuing on. And so he's also illustrating it that we have this like relationship to the law of God. And he said he's, he's writing to those who, who know the law. And so it seems like he's addressing specifically his, his Jewish audience who would have been recipients of uh, the Judaic code from the Old Testament. And so they would have been people of the book. They would have known the Old Testament. That would have had a, a prominent aspect of our lives. And so I think that is salient for us this morning, uh, just our culture, our context. Most of us have had a lot of time and experience around the word of God and in the church setting. And so that's who he's talking to. And he's saying, it's, you know, I, I think it's a little bit different than the comparison to sin because he uses a, a pretty obviously negative aspect of like you belong to sin like a slave. But in this situation, he's talking about the law and that there does need to be this fundamental change, but he is, he is obviously not vilifying the law. And so he, he compares it like a marriage, which isn't necessarily a, a negative relationship, but he's saying something needs to change in that. So that's that metaphor, that change of relationships, and that's how he uses this to describe these spiritual aspects of our life, lives, that something needs to shift. So that's what he's saying. It's like at one point, it's like you were married to the law. And that's what we know in the progression of God's revelation to his people, that the law had a significant factor in his relationship to Israel. But we know that the law came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so as Paul is clarifying the gospel for the people of God so that they would have a deeper understanding of the work of Christ in their lives, he's saying, hey, this, this way you viewed the law before needs to change. It is like you were in this relationship, but that relationship has passed away, which has freed you to begin a more, better, deeper relationship with Christ Jesus. 
So we cannot view the law in the same way that we view God. We need a change in that relationship. The law, oftentimes, for religious people, replaces a relationship with God. And we might have slipped into that at different points in our lives, or maybe there was uh, 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 the image of that good church-going person that knew all the rules and always wanted to be the one who was policing and correcting everybody else to make sure nobody was trespassing within the religious community because it is a temptation for us to replace our primary relationship with Jesus Christ with a relationship with the law. But what Paul is illustrating And I think it's important for us to remember this morning that the law is good, but we cannot belong to God and belong to the law in the same way. And so I like one of the things Paul does and is clear throughout the New Testament that for all of us, as we are going through life and making decisions, it's like we are on different paths and there are different choices we can make. And as we make those choices, our lives unfold and a lot of those different paths lead towards spiritual death. And so Paul is even saying that right here about the law. If you heard that imagery in um, the progression of the text, that if we treat the law like our primary relationship, that we belong to it and it belongs to us, what Paul is saying is that the end of that road is spiritual death. And so we get this imagery a lot. The end of the road of sin is death. The end of the road of rules is death. You pick your whatever thing that comes to mind most readily for you, the end of that road could be spiritual death, which mirrors what Jesus said about himself. He said that there is a wide road that leads to destruction, but there is a narrow road that leads to life, and the only road that leads to life is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so you cannot belong to the law and belong to Jesus at the same time. Now, the law serves a function, which Paul is going to get into, but we need to recognize that, that we cannot belong to the law in the same way that we belong to God. And that's why he's saying that relationship has to change. We have to view it differently. It serves a purpose, but it is not one of belonging. And that's what he says in verse 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. If you know um, the differences, some of the distinctives of what we are offered in Christ Jesus and the access to God is that when we place our faith in Jesus, what it says within the scriptures is that the Holy Spirit of God indwells our lives. And so at different times when we talk about this idea of union with Christ, how we're brought into this relationship, and all the verses of the Bible that talk about abiding with him or Christ's life being made manifest in you, it's because the Spirit of God is in your life, and it mediates a relationship with the God of the universe. And so what Paul is saying that living out the gospel is living into this relationship, that it is not a written code that determines our life, but it is a relationship with the God of the universe. Praise be to Jesus. But naturally, there are some questions that come after that because there is what we can know spiritually and intellectually, and then there is the actuality we live with. And so Paul continues in some natural questions that flow out of that. Verse 7, What then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law... I would not have known sin. 
For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So it could be easy to ask the question, like, is the problem then the rules? Because if it wasn't for those rules, I wouldn't find myself in this position of always going against the rules. And so what Paul is saying is absolutely not. And that mirrors the wording of Jesus. You know, if you think about the Sermon on the Mount, he said the law is not passing away. Our relationship to it has changed, but it is right and good. It is the, the moral standing of God in the universe. It is the right and wrong of the reality that we live in. And so has the law caused us to sin? Paul is saying, no, what the, what the law is doing, the reality that God has uh, placed rules into um, our circumstances is that it reveals the rebellious nature that is already inside of me. And so we would definitely hold to the idea of original sin, that when we come into this world, we come in predisposed to be rebellious towards God, and that reality is going to show up over and over and over again in our lives. And so he's, he's using that as an example. He's saying, like, you know, as soon as there's a rule, there's this natural tendency in me, like, I want to go against that rule. And I think we can all see that play out. It's been such an interesting uh, just experience uh, seeing humanity on full display as I have moved into parenting young children. And it's just, um, it just makes it so clear that, I mean, we, we do the exact same things ever since we're, we're kids. And so we're definitely in this phase right now with my, my oldest child, Lively. She's three, sneaking up on four. And I just see it. And here's the easiest way to illustrate it. Like, right now, the weather's kind of nice. We like being outside. I like grilling. And so it's nice when, you know, it's about 70 degrees and we can eat outside on the patio. And most of the time, if we're in the backyard, uh, Lively is distracted with her toys and different things. And so there's just some kind of unawareness. And I'm over on the grill. And, but occasionally, you know, she uh, gets tired of her toys and she wants to come be near dad. And I, I hadn't had to say anything yet. But the closer she gets to me, the closer she also gets to that grill. Uh, and so at one point, I didn't have to say anything at all, but then she kind of got into this proximity where I had to be like, hey, Lively, do not touch the grill. It is hot. Do not touch it. And do you know in that moment what becomes incredibly fascinating for her? <laughs> that grill. And so then she begins to negotiate with me like, oh, I'm just going to stand right here, but I'm not going to touch it. And I'm like, no, you're going to go on the other side of the yard because if I turn around for a second, I don't want you to touch this grill and burn your hand. But it reveals this rebellious nature that is in the heart of mankind, that when we hear a rule, there's something that clicks in our heart of, ooh, I want to do that thing. And so we can, we can see it with children just very clearly, but it's in us as adults. We're just a little bit better at hiding it. And so that's what Paul is saying. One of the things that the law does is reveals the rebelliousness in us. If we know we are not supposed to do something, why do we immediately want to do it? That is just a reality of the brokenness of our sinful humanity. But Paul is saying it still serves a purpose. That's what he means. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known my sin. 
For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller said it like this. The law is not a checklist we keep. It is a benchmark we fail. And that is so true. It reveals to us the rebelliousness that is already at work inside of me. So one of the things I think would be important for us to remember this morning is that the law can't bring anything out of me that wasn't already inside of me. You know, when I um, uh, tend to be my, my worst self, I, I like to blame the circumstances around me. And so we, we can do that with God. You know, if God hadn't said this thing, I wouldn't want it so bad. But what it is, it is an act of revealing. And so um, uh, the law, the rules, the moral precepts of God can't make you desire something that wasn't already embedded in your heart. So it does this revealing act, but it can't make you do something that wasn't already in there. And that's why our fundamental relationship with it has to change. We cannot belong to the law because there is no saving element in the law. It reveals our sin. But we should remember, because it could be easy to vilify this idea, that the law is not the problem. It's us. We are the problem. Paul continues, look in verse 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means it was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now, it's interesting, this passage of Scripture that Paul wrote down um, has kind of uh, several different theological interpretations. And uh, the, the, probably the largest and most held of that theological interpretation is that Paul is talking from his own experience. And so this would be talking to someone who has uh, placed a relationship with Jesus but still continues to struggle. Now, there are some different theological understandings. Some people would break down this passage and would say that uh, this description right here is for an unregenerate believer. And so logically following from that is that this reality is describing somebody who has not placed their faith in Christ. So then once they do place their faith in Christ, this is in the past. But that's not what a lot of people hold to and not what I would hold to. But I would say the reality is that you, you will find people at times, uh, good, well-intentioned people or even churches that might present the idea that if you are following Jesus, that you no longer sin. And you can find whole traditions kind of built on that notion. And I've encountered people throughout my life that would hold to that. You know, when Jesus says, like, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. So if you are not obeying all of the commandments, that must mean you don't love Jesus, and therefore you are not saved. But I would just say in my experience that when churches or people teach that if you are actually actively following Jesus, that you cease to sin, inevitably what happens is concealment, and that is not in the uh, best interest of anybody who claims Jesus as Lord. 
And so uh, the broader interpretation of what I would hold to is um, when Paul says in verse 6 that it talks about coming into this relationship by the Spirit, that he is describing the life of a believer, someone who has been regenerate by the Holy Spirit. He is describing what it actually is like to attempt to follow, follow Jesus in this broken world and with the broken nature inside of me. And so what I think Paul is doing in this passage, he's, he's just trying to clue us into ourselves of how we actually operate. And so I'll just ask you, uh, just as best as you can evaluate your own heart and your own intentions, how many of you would, would say, like, I, I love Jesus? Like, I, I would espouse that. Like, I would say, um, when I placed my faith in Jesus when I was nine years old, I have continued to learn what it means to love Jesus. And there are moments in time where those passages of the scripture, it's like he is closer than a brother. He is like a friend. He is like a father. Like, I have felt those moments where God felt so close, where Jesus felt so close that it was like this close relationship that if I got distant from it, I really felt this longing and this missing for this relationship with Jesus. Like, I would say honestly, like, I love Jesus Christ. I've sinned this week. I've struggled with my thought life. I've struggled with my actions. I have lived out this passage of what Paul is saying, like this, uh, this very thing I hate, I do, and I do not do the good I want to do. This is the description of the Christian life. And it bears out in the testimony of Paul that he speaks most often from experience. And you can see this in some of his other letters. He even talks about, he's like, hey, I don't want you to be uninformed, but there was this time when we despaired of life itself. And he even has the, the famous passage. He's like, hey, I had this thorn in my flesh, a messenger from the devil. Three times I pleaded with God to take it from me, but God said, my grace is sufficient for you. The Christian walk is a walk of struggle because we're complicated beings. And that's what's being described in the word for us, that there is this reality, um, and you would realize this as you go through life, like we do have this like rational self, that we can evaluate our choices and options and decisions, and we could make some best case scenario decisions, like, hey, this is my value system. When I'm in this situation, I wanna make this choice. And so sometimes we are operating in that rational self. But then we do have that emotional self. You know, we have those triggers that set us off for those certain situations where rationality gets kicked right out the window, and we're going to just respond on instinct and impulse, and we get controlled by those emotions at different times. And so what Paul is introducing and what we need to be aware of is that there is a spiritual reality going on inside of us too. We have the regenerate work of the Holy Spirit that is pushing against sin, that is drawing us to the Father, that is um, allowing conviction to come into our hearts and minds, and at the same time, we have a sin nature that is pushing against it, that both are true in our lives. That when Jesus began that work in us, it is, it is not yet a completed work. Our eternity is saved with him, but the temporal reality we live in is one of a continued work of God drawing us to himself and us fighting against that work because we have that nature that clings so closely. And so that's what Paul begins to describe in two different ways. And so he talks about his flesh or the members of his body still want to do this old way of, of turning into sin, of giving into that, but there's this spiritual sense to him that his head and his heart recognize like that's not what I want to do I want to do the things that please God but I still get pulled in these directions I still give in to sin so I appreciate this about Paul because one of the things I just feel very uh, uh, deeply is that Paul in this moment is giving all of us permission to struggle and we need that 
You know, we, we have tried to model that here as a church, that we want to be a place that's a home for the hurting, and we want to have permission with each other to struggle in the light. Because once again, when I've been around uh, those Christian communities that uh, would teach that if you're actually following Jesus, that means you no longer sin, the result of that I have seen 100% of the time is one of concealment, that we bottle that sin up. We don't want everybody else to know what's going on with us because then that would mean you don't love Jesus. And so if you are hiding that, inevitably it compounds and you're not going to be able to deal with it on your own. And so we want to be a place where you have permission to struggle in the light. And I know that's, that's always meant a lot to me as I've uh, grown up as a young man, and I've had um, men and women that were older than me, and I knew, knew Jesus better than I did, and they were willing to confess sin and failure. You know, I've, I've served up to this church under, under two different senior pastors, and I would say both of them modeled that well for me as a young man, as a young pastor, and for our church. A lot of y'all knew Mark Benedum very well, and he was a, a humble man of God who did not promote himself as something more than he was, and I got to see that as he modeled it from uh, the pulpit and also in his everyday life that he humbly served God and was honest about his shortcomings and failures so that he could continue to promote the grace and goodness of Jesus. And I've seen that on display um, uh, just so close at hand the past eight years with Pastor Charlie, and if any of y'all have sat down with Pastor Charlie, you would know he's not promoting this idea of like, hey, I figured it out, so the rest of y'all should get in line if you want to be at my church, because it's just not true. And so Paul, the apostle that did so much for Jesus, who wrote so many parts of our New Testament, who was going all over the place, leading people to the Lord, starting churches, doing all the incredible things, who God worked miracles through, just every spiritual accolade that you could think of at this point. What he is saying is the same struggle that me and you face every single day. Man, I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. I mean, how many of y'all felt that this week? We can do hands. Just Charlie raised his hand. It was a trick. I've, I've felt that this week. It is a reality we are faced with. And Paul does this interesting thing we begins to talk about sin as kind of being separate from ourselves. If you look again in verse 20, he says, Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And so it kind of seems this interesting personification that there is kind of like this, this other entity within me that is compelling me. And it could, we were discussing it in, in staff this past week. We kind of preload and, and talk about it in staff. And it's kind of this question that comes out like, okay, does that mean I'm just not responsible? Like, it wasn't me who made that choice. It was my sin. And so what I, what I think Paul is doing in how he is illustrating this is the reality that we can identify our sin as who we actually are. So we're in a day and age where we talk a lot about our truth, our true self, just being true to ourselves. And I, I would say most often when that conversation is coming up, it is because somebody is identifying with their own sinful desires. And so that feels more real to them than the work God might be doing in their lives. And so we can wallow in that sin like, this is just who I am. This is just the reality I live in. This is just the way it's going to be. My desires are intrinsic to who I am as a person. And so what I think Paul is saying, that your truest self, who you are, if everything else is stripped away, is your sonship and daughtership with the God of the universe. And so your true self lies with Christ Jesus. 
that you are not the sum total of your desires, that if everything else was stripped away, if you were the human that you were designed to be, it would be belonging to Christ. And so when we do trespass against God, when we do feel those desires that pull us away, when we do give in to temptation, there is this reality that that is an old self that Jesus is doing away with over time through his loving work, bringing us to himself. And so it is the reality that sin is not who we are, that Jesus has redeemed us, he has purchased us with his blood, and it might feel close at hand. It might feel like that desire you've had your entire life, but that's not who you are. You are yours in Christ Jesus and in him alone. Your true self is always to be found in Jesus. So this is what Paul says, verse 21. So I find it to be a law. And by that, I mean, I think he's getting at that it's just kind of a rule of thumb. Like this is what happens. That when I want to do right, Evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. I think the reality that Paul is exposing for us and that we need to key in on often in our spiritual lives is that we are in a war. And that's what he's describing. And it is an internal war. It's not this external war. If, you know, if culture wasn't going this direction or if the, the country would right itself, then everything would be fixed in my spiritual life. That is not the reality that the Bible portrays. It is an internal war between the spirit that is work inside of us and this old self that has a, a drawing towards sin. And so I love that he says that in verse 22, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. I would just contend on your behalf. You don't even have to raise your hand, but I would contend that most of you love the law of God. Even if you haven't thought about it in those terms, it is the things that we know that when we step towards the goodness of God, things are more peaceful in our lives. I mean, think about the fruit of the Spirit. And we all can appreciate that attribute, those character lists that God talks about that are the law that Jesus commands, that God has brought us to, to be a people of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gratefulness. We love those things. We love when those things come out of our lives. We love when we can choose forgiveness and let go of hurts and brokenness from the past. We delight in the law of God because we know that's the way things are supposed to work. And so even if we don't think about it in those terms, like I am convinced that all of you love the law of God. You delight in it. You like when other people live it out, and you feel at peace when you live it out. But there is a war raging, raging in our souls that wants to pull us away from that. And so one of the things I just want us to remember is that we should not vilify the struggle. You know, we, we almost always talk of sin in those terms that, yeah, I'm just, I'm just struggling with this thing. And I feel like it always makes us feel like we've done something wrong to recognize that there is something going on inside of us. Like that I have this pull towards something that God forbids. And so, you know, maybe we'll talk in some vague language in Bible study or with friends, you know, just like, oh yeah, I've just kind of been struggling with this lately. And, we've, and we feel this like guilt attached to that. But let me just tell you, like what the Bible says 
the Apostle John said it very clearly, if any of you says you are without sin, you are a liar. And so the reality is that every single one of us have trespassed against God this week. And so to bring a front in here that says we are not struggling does not make us look any better biblically. Because here's the truth of it. Struggle is proof of life. If you are not struggling with sin, it means the Spirit of God is not inside of you doing the work that he promised to do for us. And so the reality of the struggle is that God is at work in your life, and we should not look on that negatively, but it is the reality that God loves you and cares for you and wants to get that destructive work of sin out of your life. And so struggle should be proof of, to you that the Spirit of God is living and active inside of you. The only people that do not struggle are dead people not godly people. And so Paul is giving us permission to struggle because he has walked out this journey and he knows what it's like to love Jesus, to know the law of God, to know what is right to do, and to still choose those other things. And that is the message of the apostles with the foundation of our church is, is Jesus Christ and the teaching of the apostles and the prophets. Like They are formative in our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. And the book of Hebrews makes it clear that even Jesus was tempted and tried as we are, that there should be this relatability to our Savior that he knows the difficulties of the human walk. But he did it perfectly because we weren't going to. And so I think another question that could uh, come to mind and something that people face over the course of their spiritual journey is if you, if you have that thing that has just plagued you your entire life, that it doesn't matter how many times you've, you've prayed about it, how many Bible studies you've done on it, like it just has never gone away. I think the question that can come about is, well, does that mean I'm actually saved? You know, I, I meant it when I asked Jesus to save me, but did, did something take place? Did, did I choose it too many times and that um, um, made the, the work of God null and void in my life? Have I, have I grown too far away? Have I, have I slid too far? Have I made that choice? Like, God would have forgiven me this many times, but I, I took it that one extra step and, and that was just too much. Like, it meant that I was no longer acceptable to God. Romans 7 is followed by Romans 8. And I don't want to borrow from next week, but if you would just look at verse 1, talking about, I, I do not do the, the, the things I want to do. I do the very thing I hate. Like, I give in to my sin, my flesh, my members. And then what does Paul say in the very next verse? There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Do not vilify the struggle. The Lord knows what we do in the struggle as we press into the word of God and the, the practices that draw us into relationship with Jesus and others and the belief, the deeply held, unshakable belief that if Jesus has called me to himself, he is going to be faithful to bring me home. As I was growing up in a pastor's house, I have some very distinct just childhood memories of every uh, Sunday morning, my dad would play the same record. And it's kind of like what woke us up in the house. And so, and he was always up like ironing clothes and getting his family ready for church. And there was a, a gospel song. I didn't take the time to look up who it was, but I, I heard it probably every Sunday of my life for like seven to eight formative years. But it sang the chorus over and over again. The victory is mine, but the battle is the Lord's. 
And that is the message of the scriptures. That it isn't a checklist of, um, I, I was successful more times this week than failures. It is, will you continue to follow Jesus no matter what? Because any of the other paths lead towards death. And so, believer, be encouraged this week. The God of the universe sees, knows, loves you, and continues to say, come. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I thank you for your word, for its encouragement, for its instruction and correction, God, and for its relatability. Because when I read Romans chapter 7, I feel like that's my life. I love you, Lord. I love Jesus and what he has done on my behalf. I strive to consider myself dead to sin but alive in you, to walk by your spirit and put to death the deeds of the flesh. God, but I still find myself so often back in this place that I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. God, but we agree with your word that your rules are life-giving, that your precepts are worth honoring, that we want to walk according to what you've commanded of your people. God, we agree with it in our inner self. God, so I just ask in the name of Jesus that you would continue your sanctifying work in our lives and in our church. God, that we would be an honest people, quick to confess, quick to forgive one another and restore one another. So we would be open and honest, God, with a lack of pretense in our lives so that Jesus would be glorified and we would be brought into the freedom that you've promised us. Be near, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.